Welcome to the weekly podcast channel for the Wilmington Church of Christ. We hope that this channel inspires and encourages you to take the gospel to all people, transforms hearts to be like Christ, and trains disciples to make disciples. For more information about our church, please go to wcconline.org. Enjoy the message. It's the Sunday after Easter, and we're starting a new sermon series looking at the scripture recordings of the resurrection and Jesus, the resurrected Jesus interacting with eyewitnesses and how the resurrected Jesus can even interact with you and me. Today we'll be studying John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, with what we believe is the very first person to interact with the resurrected Jesus Christ, Mary Magdalene. I think we ought to study these accounts of Jesus interacting with eyewitnesses because what the resurrected Christ gives to us. The resurrection gives us five gifts that we're going to find out from John 11 through uh, chapter 20, 11 through 18. He gives us a new faith, a, re- a new way to hold him, new relationships, renewed hope, and a new purpose. Here's what verse 11 in chapter 20 says. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. In this resurrection account, I think that the resurrection gives us a new faith, a new way to hold him, new relationships, a renewed hope, and new purpose. Number one, Jesus gives us new faith. Look at verses 11 through 14 again. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around, saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Mary didn't have any faith. She didn't have any hope. Mary's faith and hope had died when she saw Jesus die on the cross. In fact, all the disciples were kind of in the same place. They had lost their faith and their hope. Now, it's not like God had not given them plenty of clues to believe. Uh, First, they had the words and teachings of Jesus. He had been teaching them over a long period of time that he was going to have to die and then come back to life. They had the miracles of Jesus. They even saw Jesus raise somebody from the dead. Now they have the empty tomb, angels that are giving them witness, 
and even the grave clothes. Now, the grave clothes in John chapter 20 appears to be what John needed to believe. Now, I'll, I'll tell you why uh, I think John believed after he saw the grave clothes. When a body when was wrapped in grave clothes, like when Jesus' body was taken down on the cross and washed, they would wrap the body from about here all the way down to their feet, leaving the shoulders and upper chest and head exposed. And they would wrap the head turban style, leaving the face, neck, and shoulders exposed as the body deteriorated. And they would take their wrappings, uh, in this case linen wrappings, and they would take frankincense and grind it up like fine sawdust and put it in between each layer. And then they would even use myrrh, which is kind of like a tree sap, a good smelling tree sap, to kind of glue it all together. But when they saw the grave clothes, when John saw the grave clothes, it was like that cocoon of wrapping, the body had just been evaporated out. And the turban, which wrapped around his head, had folded down like the body just dis disappeared. You know, Mary saw these clues that the body wasn't there and she just didn't believe. And she turned around. Her faith was so dead. She turned around and saw Jesus and didn't even recognize him. She was still thinking, I have to find this body. She loved Jesus so much. She would have done anything for him. And now in his death, she was willing to do anything for him. Mary didn't believe. Now, it could be because she had tears in her eyes, or maybe the sun was in her eyes, or Jesus was in shadow. But I think it's because all the disciples, including Mary, had put their faith and their expectations of Jesus into something else other than what Jesus did, instead of trusting Jesus completely. I think it also reveals that we need help from Jesus to come to faith in Jesus. Our unbelief and our expectations are so strong, we need Jesus to break through our spiritual blindness. Maybe you're struggling between faith and doubt yourself. Maybe you just plain have no belief. But are you skeptical? One preacher asked, can we will ourselves to believe? I believe there's a pathway to come to faith. Here, here's how you believe. Now, if you're inclined not to believe and you don't want to believe it to be true, you can find all the reasons why you want, rational or not, to disbelieve. Now, I think it's more irrational to not believe than it is to believe based on the evidence. But if you, Because you can look at the same evidence that I see, but if you don't look objectively, you're not looking to see if it's true. Uh, you're just not being rational or reasonable or objective. We can look at facts like that all the time. We can look at facts and even believe facts and let it have no effect on our heart. Did you know that on this date, April 11th, 1970, Apollo 13 launched for the moon? And it's an incredible story of ingenuity and, and perseverance and bravery. But I don't know that the fact the rocket launched on April 11th does anything for your soul or affects you in any way. You may not even realize that's the date. And you can believe that date. But... You can look at that evidence and come to the same conclusion and not have it affect you. Just like you can look at the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead and treat it like a fact that makes no difference to your life. But if you're open-minded and you look objectively at the evidence and desire a new life, then Jesus can change you. He can help you have life-saving, eternal life-giving faith. To do this, you'll have to humble yourself. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes, Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. And we do have to humble ourselves to believe. You know, there's so much we know, and the internet gives us information right at our fingertips, but there's even more that we don't know. And then there's even more that we don't know that we don't even know we don't know. But it takes humility 
to admit that we don't know everything. I'm trying to read a book a week uh, this year, and so far I'm on schedule, and I keep finding new books to read, but I don't have time to read them all. I have to admit that I'm not going to have time to know everything. I have to humble myself. I also have to repent. Sometimes sin can be a roadblock to our belief. We have to turn from our doing things our own way, turn from wickedness or rebellion to God, and turn to the way of the resurrected Jesus. Some people don't want to believe because Jesus demands that we have to pattern our life after his, and we don't get to determine our own lifestyle anymore. One preacher says, if this is you, then it's probably easier to say, I'm not sure I believe, than it is to honestly admit, I don't want to give up the pleasures of sin. So do you want to believe? Then choose to repent of your own way, a way that leads you far from God and leads you down a path of destruction and will even lead you to death and turn to Jesus and he will take you into the presence of God. The apostle Peter would say, save yourself from this wicked generation and believe the good news of Jesus. Humble yourself, repent, and finally ask God to help you with your belief. Ask God to help you with your unbelief. In Mark chapter nine, Jesus we, we, we told this story about a dad who wanted Jesus to save and rescue his son, to heal him. And Jesus says, anything is possible with belief. And the dad says, I believe, I believe. And he turns to Jesus and he says, help me with my unbelief. God is patient with those who are seeking the truth. And God is gracious with those who are looking objectively at the evidence and ask for help. If you ask Jesus to help you with your unbelief, he will help you. Lee Strobel is a former award-winning legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, and he set out to use his journalistic skills to study the evidence and prove that Jesus Christ didn't really rise from the dead, and maybe even prove that Jesus never really even existed. And he set out looking to disprove Christianity, but he was objective, and he examined the evidence and the historical accounts to the best of his journalistic abilities, and now he describes himself as a one-time atheist turned Christian. Lee Strobel, because he examined the evidence with objectivity, he found it to be overwhelming, overwhelmingly in favor of Jesus Christ not only existing, but him rising from the dead. And you can read about Lee's journey in the book he wrote called The Case for Christ. He was objective. He was seeking out the truth, and he was humble enough to see the evidence, and then he repented of his unbelief. And Jesus showed up in a very real way to Lee Strobel, And now Lee spends his days trying to help others see the evidence of the resurrection. There there is one more way to come to faith, to have Jesus break in and call you by name. Look at his love for you. Start with love. Know that Jesus loves you. And he shows us how much he loves us by dying for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe when you focus in on his love for you, And what the cross really means, you will hear hear him call your name and he will help you with your unbelief. That's what Jesus did for Mary. In verse 16, he says to her, Mary, he calls her by name. And he calls her with a name she would have recognized. We can't see this in our English translations because it just translates the term, the name Mary. But in verse 1 of chapter 20 and verse 11, The original Greek has Mary's name in Greek, Maria. But in verse 16, Mary's name is written in Aramaic. See, Jesus and Mary spoke Aramaic. They would have known each other by their Aramaic names. And when Jesus in the resurrected flesh turns to her, he calls her by her Aramaic name, Miriam. 
the intimacy of the sound of his voice and the call of her name allowed her to recognize Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and her faith was made new. Dr. Robert Dale was one of the one of Great Britain's leading pastors and theologians of the 1800s. And as he was preparing an Easter Sunday sermon, it struck him in a new way that Jesus Christ was really alive, just like he was alive in the flesh. And he asked out loud, he was so excited, can this really be true, living as really I myself am living? His whole life he had believed the doctrine, but the fact had never affected his soul. And he got up and he began pacing around the room saying over and over again, Christ is living, Christ is living. And from that time on, all of his message was, messages were wrapped around the theme that Jesus Christ is alive. He wanted his people to take hold of the glorious fact that Jesus is alive. And he wanted his people to rejoice over it and rejoice that on Sundays, the days that when we gather together, we're gathering together to celebrate that Jesus left death and is alive like we are. And in some ways, even more alive than what we are experiencing Dr. Dale said historical faith is saying and believing the fact that Jesus lives, but saving faith comes through the realization that Jesus lives in me. Can you say that? The resurrection of Jesus can give you new faith too. And maybe you need Jesus to give you more than just clues and more than just evidence. Maybe you need him to call you by name. Meditate on his love. Meditate on his cross. See the evidence of the resurrection and his love for you. And he will call you by name. Ask him to help you with your unbelief. And he will give you new faith. He can take faith as small as a mustard seed and grow it. Jesus says that's how the kingdom of heaven works in our souls. The mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds in all of the garden. But it can grow into a plant so big that birds can rest in its branches and it can even shade the garden. You need to pray the prayer like the apostles prayed in Luke chapter 17. Lord, increase our faith. Listen, the facts are this. Jesus died to save you from your sins, and he rose again on the third day. He appeared not only to individuals, but to whole groups of people, over 500 eyewitnesses that could verify who they saw, what they saw, that Jesus is alive. He created a real life change immediately in over a hundred people, his friends that he appeared to, and he has been changing people ever since. And he changes them by helping them with their unbelief, by calling them by their name. He can call you by your name too. If you just ask him to help you. The resurrection of Jesus gives us new faith. But the resurrection also gives us a new way to hold him. Look at verse 17. See, when Mary recognized Jesus and her faith was made new, she latched on to him. And it says, Jesus says, don't hold on to me. It's kind of like he's saying, you're pinching me. You got to let me go. And he says, don't hold on to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go and sit to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. See, Jesus is going to give us a new and better way to be with him. Watch how Jesus gently deconstructs her old dead faith and hope and then gives her a new faith and new hope. See, Mary and the other disciples believed Jesus would be the Messiah of a temporary earthly kingdom, that he would tear down the Roman government and establish this worldly kingdom built around him on earth like they would recognize from their past. But in his death, Jesus killed their hope, and he, their faith in that new kingdom had evaporated. But Jesus had been explaining to them what the kingdom would be like the whole time. They just didn't understand 
And he had already described the work he was going to do. He was going to rise from the dead, ascend to heaven, and that resurrection and ascension was part of his work. He was going to prepare a new place for them in God's house in heaven. He was going to banish their sadness and fill them with a joy in this great reunion of all time. And God the Father and Jesus the Son as one would make their home in their hearts. Jesus told them he would be praying for them and interceding for them in heaven, and that his prayer for them would not only sustain them, but empower them to do his work and even greater work than what he had done on earth, bringing more people into his kingdom, preparing them for that future reunion. He told them he was going to go away, and it was good for them for that he would go away because he was going to send the Holy Spirit to take his place to continue to reveal the truth of God to them and empower them to carry out the mission of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself is God's kingdom come to earth. And Jesus, in this beautiful way, in his resurrection, he overlaps the old way of death and sin with the new way of the kingdom of God. And he shows us what that new kingdom, when it comes in fullness, right now it's partially here, partial but substantial. And he tells us what the new resurrected body is going to be like and what the new kingdom is going to be like. And he calls us to live in that new kingdom now by the power of the Spirit. George Lucas stole this kind of idea from Jesus when he wrote Star Wars. And Obi-Wan Kenobi told Darth Vader, strike me down and I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascension to heaven gives us this new power, empowered by the Holy Spirit and a new way to hold on to him. Except Jesus isn't some ghostly, blue, slightly see-through figure. He allows us to be connected to him more fully in a real way as he indwells each believer closer to us than he would be if he was sitting right here with us physically. This is the new way to hold on to him. And it's not like the old way. When we have communion with our family and friends now, we eat with them and we spend time with them physically, and we use physical sight and physical sound and physical touch to know them. But with Christ in the resurrection, our new way to hold him, and he promises us this is a better way, will be in prayer and in discussion and in feeling his presence, in reading his word and doing his work by being around other Christians, which Jesus calls his body, and which he also calls the church. We will be with him participating in the bread and cup of communion. Our communion with Jesus in this new way to hold on to him will be by faith and through the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus gives us in the resurrection new faith and a new way to hold on to him. But number three, Jesus also in the resurrection gives us new relationships. Look at verse 17 again. He said, go to my brothers and tell them, I have not yet ascended to the Father, uh, but I am ascending to the Father, your Father too, and to my God and your God too. Uh, Look at that uh, phrase, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father and your God and my God, my God and your God. Jesus gives us a new relationship in the resurrection, a vertical relationship with God the Father. Now, this is kind of hard to explain and hard to understand, but we can do it. Jesus, who is God, who's also a redeemer, has chosen to come to be with us and make his plan of being one with us, entering into death in our place, rising from the dead, and then ascending to the Father to give us 
this connection, a bridge to God the Father that we didn't have before. Jesus is our bridge. In John chapter 1, verse 51, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus is our stairway to heaven. Jesus is the door. He's the gate. Jesus is the bread of heaven that feeds us spiritually. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit, which is the water that satisfies our soul. And Jesus' connection to God, and before we, the resurrection, we couldn't have that type of connection to God. We didn't even really know God because Jesus reveals God to us and what God would be like when he comes in the flesh. But we can know the love of God because of what Jesus shows us. We can know the love of God because we see the love played out in the death and resurrection. And the resurrection and ascension of Jesus gives us access to God. And he becomes our God and our Father. We get the Father in a way that we did not have him before. With the resurrection, we have reconciliation with God. We have peace with God. See, God could have just forgiven our sins and then said, I don't want to have anything to do with you. That, that's kind of how we sometimes forgive people. People who have hurt us, we can maybe come to forgiveness for them. And we don't want to be paid back any longer. And we want, don't want justice for the hurt they've caused us. That's true forgiveness. But we also don't trust them. And we don't want to be around them anymore. But God, after he forgives us, he wants us to be with him. He wants us to have this intimate relationship with us as a perfect family, with him as our father. God not only gives us peace, but then he adopts us into his family and he calls us his children. In John chapter one, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Being a child of God assures us that our prayers are heard. Being a child of God assures us that we can go into the throne room of God with confidence and he'll give us the grace and mercy we need every time we need it and all the grace and mercy that we need when we need it. Jesus' resurrection gives us this new vertical relationship with God, but it also gives us this horizontal relationship with others. Go instead to my brothers, he says in verse 17. Listen to that phrase, my brothers. In John chapter 15, Jesus had told his disciples, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. But here at the resurrection, Jesus, uh, he gives us a new term for us and for his disciples. He calls his disciples his brothers. In Christ, we are the brothers and sisters of Jesus. And we will get all the benefits of being the brother and sister to the king of the world, to the son of God. Can you imagine being the brother or sister to the Son of God, the Son of the King, God the Father treats us when we're in Jesus like he treats Jesus. In Romans 8, 17, it says, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. It blows my mind that we get to be co-heirs with Jesus and we get to share in his glory. But because we are in the family of God, co-heirs with Jesus, brothers with Jesus, Christ. We have a new responsibility in this family. This new horizontal relationship gives us a new responsibility. John White, in the book he wrote, The, the Fight, a practical handbook of Christian living, says that we're cleansed by the same blood, we're regenerated by the same spirit, we're citizens of the same new heavenly city, we're slave to the same new master of Jesus Christ, we're a reader of the same scriptures and we're a worshiper of the same God. And in the same 
as God dwells in us, he dwells in our brothers and sisters of Christ. They are our family, our brothers, our sisters, our fathers, our mothers. We're all children of God. And whether we dislike them or not, we belong to them. When you're in Christ, you belong to the church. And now we have responsibilities in that horizontal relationship to love each other. We are in debt to Christ. And now Christ transfers the debt that we owe him to be an indebtedness to the family of God. How are you sharing in your responsibilities to your new family, in your new relationships? Are you using your gifts to help others in Christ grow in their maturity? See, in the resurrection, we get a new faith and a new way to hold him, but we also get this new relationship, a restored relationship with God, a vertical relationship with God, where we are now his children and he is our father. But we also get this horizontal spiritual relationship with the family of God that Jesus calls his body, the church. And we have a responsibility to love them. Number four, Jesus also gives us a renewed hope. Look at verse 17 again. I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. If we focus in on that phrase, I am ascending, then the resurrection gives us a renewed hope that as Jesus rises from the dead and returns to heaven to rule until it was his time to make all things new, he shows us what the new body is going to look like. Now, Jesus' body was sown naturally, but it was raised glorified. He was given a new spiritual body, but still in the flesh. Um, and that reveals kind of what the new physical body is going to be for us too. See, our hope is in the resurrection. Jesus' body is the forerunner of what we will become. He's the down payment that reveals that we too will be the same when we are raised from the dead. We'll be the same and yet somehow different. We'll have a new spiritual, though real, body. We will no longer be tempted by sin. We'll have our own personality, but we'll have the character of Jesus. Can you imagine being yourself but with no character flaws. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now we know only in part, but then we shall be fully known, even as I am fully known. Jesus gives us renewed hope. Jesus gives us faith, a new way to hold him, a new family, God the Father and the church. He gives us a renewed hope. And number five, he also gives us a new purpose. Jesus told Mary, do not hold on to me, but instead go to my brothers and tell them. In our karate dojo, we teach our students that if they ever have to defend themselves, they need to go and tell somebody after they've defended themselves. So if they are physically assaulted and they defend themselves and are able to get away, they go tell somebody. With little kids, we tell them, go tell a responsible adult, go tell your parents. I was attacked. I had to defend myself. This keeps them safe, and it keeps uh, their defense of themselves from coming back to bite them. We tell the adults the same way. If you have to defend yourself as an adult, go tell somebody. Call 911 and say, I have been assaulted. I had to defend myself. After you defend yourself, you still have to defend yourself. It keeps you safe. As a Christ follower, we've been given a responsibility to be his witness. He told Mary, go tell my brothers. See, this helps us continue in our faith. It helps keep our faith safe. It helps us continue in our responsibility to love the family of God and to obey our Father. Jesus gives us a new purpose when we become a child of God to be a witness for all that he has done for us, 
to be a witness for the love that he has given us, to be a witness for the change that he is making in our lives, to be a witness for our old way that we got rid of, our old way of life that we got rid of, a life that was headed to death, a life that was on a road of destruction and despair. And he tells us to be a witness of our new life in the resurrected Jesus, a life of hope and a life that is full and satisfying. Now, it doesn't mean that we have perfect lives or that we never experience anything of pain or suffering. It just means that we are experiencing that pain and suffering while we have an internal, real joy in Jesus. As Jesus continues to help us with our unbelief, as Jesus continues to help us hold on to him by faith, as Jesus continues to help us have new relationships with God and with others, and as Jesus gives us a new hope that it won't always be like this, and someday he will make all things new. We're supposed to witness to that, and that's our new purpose. You know, Jesus gives us a way to continue in our new faith and even renew our faith weekly to continue to hold on to him by faith in an action that's very tangible that we can actually feel and taste and see in a new way to renew our hope. And it's called communion. What did you get out your bread and your cup? And Jesus, I think, knows that we need something tangible to hold on to that would renew our faith and continue on in the faith. And that's why he gives us the bread and the cup, or one of the reasons he gives us the bread and the cup. He says, as we participate in this bread, we're going to participate in his body. And as we participate in the cup, we're participating in his blood. This body and blood, this new way to hold on to Jesus, continues to renew our, pay, our, our, our faith, but it also reminds us of our purpose. Jesus says that as we consume this bread and cup, we are declaring his death until he comes again. Communion is a, great, is a great way to witness for Jesus Christ. Would you take the bread and remember his death for you? Remember that he's taken away all of your sins by his suffering on the cross and that he can renew your faith by calling you with a resurrected body, calling you by name. Would you participate in the body? Thank you, Jesus, of that reminder that your body died on the cross, but then it was resurrected with a new spiritual body in the flesh. And would you take out your cup? And would you participate in the cup? Jesus says this is a great reminder that the covenant of God, this new covenant of God, is made in his blood. His blood spiritually covers over all of our sin, washing us white as snow. And when we participate in the cup, we're participating in his blood. Would you participate in the cup? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your body and blood given for us. And we thank you so much for your resurrected body revealed to us so that you could call us by name, that you give us a new hope. We thank you for this time of communion, that when we do it, we're not only reminded of your death and resurrection, but we're reminded that you're going to come back again. You're going to give us a new body just like you received a new body. Thank you, Jesus, for that. It's in your name that we pray. It's in your name that we live. And it's your name that we move and act and have our being. Amen.
maybe some of that resurrection gifts, maybe that's, that's the first time you've heard about those gifts given to us in Jesus. We want to help you continue on in your faith. We want to help you take your next best step in Jesus. So maybe you've never believed before. Maybe you've never seen the resurrected Jesus. We want to help you believe. We want to help you grow in your faith. We want to pray with you and help you with your unbelief. If you are seeking out Christ and you want to know the way of Jesus, but you've never done it before, would you fill out a connection card online? Send it in, email it in, and let us know you want to take your next best step and we'll help you. We'll pray with you. We'll seek out Christ together. We'll look over the evidence with you and we'll help you come to faith in Jesus. Uh, God has given us as a church that responsibility to go out and witness for him. We want to help you do that. So fill out a card, connection card, and we'll help you do that. And maybe you've never given yourself completely to Jesus. You've never made yourself humble, repented of your sin, and you've never been buried in Jesus's death in baptism and raised by faith in his life. We can help you do that too. The water here is always warm. We can set up an appointment today, tonight, and have you baptized into Jesus's death, burial, and raised by faith to a new resurrection. We just want to help you take your next best step. Maybe your next best step is to be around other Christians so you can study this resurrected Jesus together with them and grow in your maturity so you can use your gifts and fulfill your new purpose in Jesus by helping others become mature in Jesus. That's another reason you can fill out the connection card. We want to get you in a small group. We want to help you grow in your maturity, and we want you to fulfill your responsibility to help me grow, to help our church grow in our maturity in Jesus. Fill out a connection card, and we'll take the next best step in our faith. I'm glad that we got to examine this resurrection account of Jesus to get today together. Next week, we're going to continue looking at another eyewitness account of the resurrected Jesus with the disciples. And so I hope you are able to come back and be changed like I am by the, resurrected, by the resurrection of Jesus. God bless you, and we'll see you soon. If this message has inspired you or encouraged you, we would love if you shared it with a friend. To help support ministries like this one, go to wcconline.org slash donate.